appreciate the songs that Edward has been leading today, and I noticed that uh, several of them really fit excellently with, uh, with the lessons, both this morning and tonight, which are somewhat interrelated, and I uh, really appreciate the selection of songs. If you're visiting with us, and I don't know that we have a visitor, we're glad that you're here, and uh, the rest of you, we're definitely glad you're here. Tonight we're going to uh, return to, we've been looking at some songs that, especially some of the songs that mention holiness and personal holiness, and while tonight's song doesn't, I thought it fit extremely well with what I was talking about this morning, as well as the whole theme with Peter, and um, so I just wanted to take a look at this song. It's an old hymn, obviously, Just a Closer Walk with Thee. Uh, It's a very traditional gospel song, and if you look up and read about where it came from, the original author is unknown. They suspect, since it uh, tended to be sung even, and know this for a fact, in the early 1800s, that it probably was developed among maybe southern African-American slaves and so forth who were known to sing it in the fields. And uh, there's a very early reference that recalls how, quote, slaves were singing as they worked in the fields a song by walking by the, uh, about walking by the Lord's side. And uh, the melody was very similar. The words were very similar. So a number of renditions and so forth followed. Some of you older, I know Ed will probably know this for a fact, Red Foley had a big hit with the song about 1950. It be, kind of moved into the popular, and together with Mahalia Jackson and a number of others that were recording, it kind of moved into popularity. And then in the later 1960s, some of you will remember uh, Paul Newman and Cool Hand Luke, and very famously, uh, what was the guy's name? Was it Harry Dean Stanton, I think, is singing the song. Anyway, all of that aside, from that point on, it's just kind of grown in popularity. Um, I remember learning the song when Tennessee Ernie Ford did it on the Lucy Show when I was a little bitty kid, you know, so it's been around. But the history of the song is not what we really want to emphasize tonight. We want to talk about the lyrics, and the lyrics are, are very beautiful. Obviously, it's in this old spiritual type, uh, the melody and so forth, the old spiritual type tone to the song. But I want to break the song down and just look at the different parts of it. To start with the chorus, just a closer walk with thee. If you read through the chorus, you may want to grab a songbook again and look at it, but I'm sure you remember the words. Just a closer walk with thee, grant it, Jesus, this my humble plea. And that's interesting to me, the way the song puts that. It's the idea of wanting a closer walk with the Lord, but knowing that you're going to have to have help, like I was saying this morning. You're going to have to have the Lord's help in order to draw closer to Him. It is not something, even though I believe we're created to seek God and to look for God and to, you know, basically develop that relationship with God, it is not something that just simply happens easily to us as human beings. It's something you have to work at. So just a closer walk with thee, granted, Jesus, this is my humble plea. Daily let it ever be just a closer walk with thee. I think the title and the lyrics probably echo several passages in the Bible. There would be the 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. Uh, We walk by faith and not by sight. Um, Could spend the rest of the hour talking about that. I won't. But the idea of emphasizing the fact that it is not not always just, you know, what I see. Not always, and, and you can make all kinds of applications, but I'll make the application of what I was talking about this morning. 
I might see in front of me a long, hard struggle. I might see around me what I'm doing, and that may knock me down, and all of that kind of thing. I might be like Peter, and I want to always say the right thing and do the right thing, but like we studied last Sunday night, depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. But I don't just walk by sight. I don't just see those things and let that affect how I walk with the Lord. No, I walk by faith. As I said this morning, I trust the Lord in what He says. I believe what the Lord says. I said I would come back to that idea tonight and emphasize some verses, and I want to do that. Because of the idea of knowing that the Lord is with me, that He will be with me. I want to walk with Jesus. In 1 John 2 and verse 6, I ought to walk even as He walked. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, see that you walk circumspectly. The King James says, but the, you know, carefully, some translations say, but it's the idea of looking all around me and really being sober about the situation and judging what it takes and what I need and all of that sort of thing, adding what I need to my life. Grant it, Jesus, that that's my humble plea that you help me, that I learn to walk like you want me to walk. I want to read some passages, though. Go with me to James chapter 4, passage that I've looked at and meditated on, if you will, throughout this year. In fact, even from last fall when Wes and I were talking about the theme and developing some ideas for the year and everything, this was a passage that I would go to and and just really try to think about. It's not a difficult passage. It's not one that I'm sure you guys are unfamiliar with. And yet, think about what it's saying. Let's start in verse 6, kind of in the middle of it. But in verse 6, God says he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Again, in this song, I'm making a humble plea to the Lord to grant that I may walk by His side and walk with Him. He gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, verse 7, to God. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And that's possible. Um, Being able to resist what he says, to even rebuke him, is something that a Christian is given the ability to do. And he will flee from you, the Lord promises. Draw near to God. We emphasize this idea of coming up and coming near to God and how God calls for us to do that, especially in the prophets we see that phrase. But draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Remember Paul this morning and was emphasizing Philippians 3. I haven't already attained and I haven't made, I'm not perfect already, but I, I chase after it and I try to grab on and Jesus is grabbing on to me. And so I, I graphically tried to picture that this morning. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you, verse 8. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted. And I think here is the idea of, like I was saying in the, in the sermon this morning, the ability to feel remorse. Not to beat yourself up, and I think there's a difference there. But to feel the remorse, to know things are wrong and to believe they are. Not to justify, not to rationalize, not to make excuses. Not to say and accept it's okay if I do what I do, even though I really deep down inside know it's wrong, but I'm going to convince myself it's okay. Now here is the idea of be afflicted and mourn and weep. And that's a good thing, to go through that time. Now, understand, not to wallow in it. Not to go on a a guilt trip, as we sometimes talk about. Or have a guilt complex, as we sometimes talk about. Not that. God is not calling for that but caring about what you do and the wrong that you do and knowing the hurt that it brings to yourself, to other people, and even to God. So the idea of be afflicted and mourn and weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. 
When I read that verse, I'll tell you exactly what I think about. I think about being that stupid teenager that was running around doing all those things I did. And without going into all of that, but what followed a lot of times was arrogance and laughter. You know, I, I hurt somebody and got away with it. I'd done some crime and got away with it. Boasting of it, bragging about it, feeling all of that. When I read this verse, that's what I think about. And let your laughter be turned to mourning. To see the wrong in it, to see the sin in it, to see the guilt that it should bring. And once you learn that, really learn that by faith, you feel it. Let your joy be turned to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of God, in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. And of course we have that as a song. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. I want to look at an Old Testament passage back in Second Chronicles. And this one, I think, really emphasizes this sentiment as well. Go with me to Second Chronicles, and I'm going to look at chapter 15 and read just a couple of verses from Second Chronicles 15. At the very beginning of the chapter, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance, and he joined affinity with Ahab here. Uh, that's not 15. No, there's 15. Okay. Chapter 15, verse 1. The Spirit of the, This is it. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa, and he said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. Now, this is the part that I really want to focus on. The Lord is with you while you be with him. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Grant it to me, Jesus, that I have a close walk with you. I want it. Pray for it. Yearn for it. Chase after it. Hear, Asa. Let everybody in the nation hear. The Lord is with you while you're with him. If you seek him. He will be found of you. If you forsake him, he will forsake you. Notice now for a long season, Israel has been without the true God, and without a teaching priest, and without law. But when they, in their trouble, did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. I'm reading this passage because I want to address something that I've heard in the last couple of weeks not something new, not something I've heard many times before, but I'm reminded again, you heard me touch on it this morning, I'm going to say it again tonight, but in conjunction with this passage. You cannot get to a point, I want to stress this, I believe this with all my heart, you cannot get to a point where God will be done with you if you still care about where you are. When we read in the Bible and People have cited to me, you know, you talk sometimes about God giving people over to a sin or giving people over to something, about how God sends a strong delusion and they believe a lie and they are condemned. I do believe in that. But I believe that is for people who do not any longer care. And you have to understand something. God is not going to quit on you until you have totally quit on Him and... Your heart is hardened, your conscience is seared, and you really don't care. Then God is done with you. But what is being said in this passage, and I believe taught in principle in many other passages, but you can see it said directly right here, Israel was not with him for a long time. Notice that, verse 4. But they sought him, and when they did seek him again, he was with them. God doesn't quit on us. God is not going to say, oh, you've done this horrible sin and that's too much. I'm done with you. God is not going, as one person put it, God has to be sick of me. 
and sick with me. He might be, but that doesn't mean he's, he's done with you. He's through with you. Have you ever loved someone, really, really loved someone, a child, a close relative, a, a best friend, and they've done something that's absolutely despicable, and it sickens you? But that person is coming to you, and they're crying out to you, and they want to restore. Do you love them? Will you take them back? Or are you hard-hearted about it? I think we all know what it means as we say to love somebody through it. God loves us through it. And that's what we have to understand. This passage is powerful because what this passage is saying is even when you went away from God for a while, when you came back, He was still there. Montel wrote a song one time. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And I about come to tears, sometimes literally do, every time I listen to it. But she talks about a friend who's become unfaithful, and this friend, chance meets this unfaithful friend, and says to the friend, I've still, I still care about you, I still think about you, I still pray for you, but far more than that, God is still the watcher of your heart. Every move you make, everything you do, God is right there with you. He still loves you. He still cares for you. It's a beautiful song, but it expresses an even more beautiful truth. Just a closer walk with thee. When I read this song, when I read the lyrics of it or when we sing it, I don't think in terms of everything has been perfect in my life. I'm just as strong spiritually as I've ever been, and I want to get even closer. I think that certainly applies. But I think more in terms of the times when I'm not as close as I want to be. And I'm begging to God to help me. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'm weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as, I, as long as I walk, dear Lord, close to thee. There's an assurance in the Bible. Maybe I should back up and say it like this in the order that I've got it in my notes here. You know, when, it, when we contemplate ultimate failure, I don't know if you ever do this, but the older I get, the more I think about I've given my life to being a Christian, these beliefs that I have, I've lived by them, I continue to live by them, I am, pardon the expression, but I'm banking on, counting on, I would even say betting on, you know, but it conjures up the wrong picture. But I am counting on this to be the truth. But the more I think about it, then I begin to say, what if I miss it? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I don't know if you've ever faced that fear, but fearing God, and it's right to fear God. You know, Jesus even said, fear him who is able to destroy body and soul in hell. So, have you ever contemplated making it to the end of your life, and you missed it. Somehow you got it wrong. Somehow you got off track. Somehow you missed that vital point. Do you ever pray to God? Don't let me. No, God, don't let me miss it. Don't let me get something wrong. Don't let me get so carried away in a belief that if I'm wrong, I can't be changed on it. I can't hear what you're saying or listen to the counsel of other people. I don't know if you've ever faced that, but it's a very real fear for many people. And I think you have to come back to passages like Hebrews 11 and verse 6 where you're saying the Lord rewards those who believe in Him and who quote-unquote diligently seek Him. 
The Lord is going to reward such a one. Or 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12, where you know you have an an assurance. Paul said in that passage, and we sing it, I know whom I have believed. I want you to notice about that passage, a subtle difference, but do you notice Paul does not say, I know what I have believed. Because you know the point is everybody knows what they believe. Really, everybody does. No matter how wrong they are. They know what they believe. It's not, I know what I believe. I know whom I believe. And I want to tell you this. I'm not going to get political at all. But one of the great differences in Christianity as a religion is that it focuses, yes, on a law. It focuses on rules. It draws our attention to what God says we must do and we must not do. It gives us principles to live by, and they're wonderful principles. But in the end, Christianity is not a religion of rules. That was Phariseeism. And that is faulted. Christianity is a religion of Christ. A person. A God who became a man because he loved us so much. Of one who died on the cross. Who exemplifies in his own sacrifice every principle he calls us to live by. It is a religion that regardless of where you get, how far off track you get, how messed up in life you get, you will come back to the perfection of Jesus. I've made the remark in my life, and I mean it with all my heart. I became a Christian not because I learned a rule that you've got to do this or you've got to do that, and I knew it was the rule and I knew it was the truth. I became a Christian because I believed in Jesus. I did not believe in me, but I did believe in Jesus. And there have been times when I strayed away and strayed in the sense that I just didn't think I could do it. It was it's just something that I wish I could, but I look at myself and I'm kind of like this and I know there's too much wrong and Lord keep me from all wrong because there's too much there. But I believe in Jesus. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that He, not me, He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. I want you to turn a few pages over to Psalm 19. It's a beautiful psalm. You'll know it well the moment we get there. But in Psalm 19, this is a beautiful psalm of David that talks about the power of God. I'm not going to emphasize all of that for sake of time. But the psalm opens with talking about God's creative power. I want you to notice that. Because I believe when it transitioned to talking about God's law, that they're hand in hand. In other words, I'll say it like this. A God who has the power and the magnificence to create this world has the power and magnificence to create a perfect law. But more than that. A God who has the power and the magnificence to create a a, a world such as this, and human beings in it, And a perfect law, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, has the power to create and recreate me. And I think that's what David is saying. I want you to look at it with me in Psalm 19. Start with me in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. 
The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, and they're righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine or refined gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Now let me make a simple application of this passage. It's profound, but a simple application. Have you ever known someone whose life really was changed by the Word of God? I mean, the life they lived was a life you didn't want to be much part of. You wouldn't want to be around that person. You wouldn't want to have much to do with such a person. But the law of God converted them, really converted them. The principles within the law of God, when they added them to their life, where they were so abhorrent before, they're so beautiful now. That this individual as a person is everything you want to be. It's everything you want to be around. It's the kind of thing... It's such a change, it's such as we'll borrow the word from this morning's lesson, such a transformation that nothing but the power of God could be behind that. Have you ever known such a person? And I think most of us can kind of look and say, yeah, I've known that kind of person. That's the power of God. And so David, in, in what is in some respects an odd twist, But I think a very natural progression goes on in verse 11 and says this. Moreover, by them, that is by the laws of God, by them is thy servant warned. And in keeping of them, there is great reward. Then he says this, verse 12. Who can understand his error? And here's the idea of his sins and his sinful ways. Who can understand that? I mean, really, can we? How many of us have sat down and said, why did I do that? What made me do that? How could I come to this? Who can understand all that? And then he goes further. Cleanse thou me from secret. And I think the word secret here means hidden. And whether it's hidden to other people or hidden to myself or both, cleanse me from the hidden sins, the hidden errors. But then he goes on in verse 13. Keep back your servant. From presumptuous sins. These are not the things that I can't understand or the things perhaps I don't know about. Some think that what he's talking about in the secret sins are things that are hidden to me right now. I'm doing it or not doing it as the case may be and I just don't know any better. You know, I'll learn somewhere along the way. I'll be, whoa, I didn't know I was supposed to be doing that. But then he goes on and he definitely in verse 13 when he's saying presumptuous sins, he's talking about those things you know better. You, you know you should not do those things. You know they're wrong. They're against the law of God. You know that. Perhaps you even, there's even a little voice that says in your head, you know, what if Jesus comes back while you're doing this? And you know that. But you notice what David does with it. Keep your servant from it. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. Is it all right to pray that? Is it all right to say to God, Maybe to humbly admit to God, you know what, God, I don't have the strength. I've fought this thing, I've fallen to this thing, I've given in to this thing over and over again. I don't have the strength that it takes. I don't know what it takes. But I know that I can come to you and count on you, and I'm counting on you. Help me, keep me from this thing. Whatever it takes, keep me from this thing. That's a scary sin, I mean, a scary prayer about a sin. I don't know if you've ever prayed such a thing. 
I don't know if you've ever thought about the ramifications of praying such a thing. Because God has the ability to orchestrate some unbelievable things to us. And if it means it takes that to keep me from the sin, I think that's what David is praying. And I think that's what the person who means to conquer his sin or her sin at any cost, I think that's what they really mean. Keep me from all wrong. I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to sin. I'll be satisfied as long as I'm walking close to the Lord. That's what David said. Keep back your servant from, from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. And then I will be upright. Then I'll really be a righteous person, he said. And I'll be innocent from the great transgression. A lot of, you know, translators look at this and a lot of different ways to look at this. But I think the idea is the ultimate total falling away from God. When the sin takes dominion, takes over, and you give yourself to it. Notice back in Psalm, or over in Psalm 37, if you will. Let me read one other couple of verses along these lines. And I won't belabor the point any further. But Psalm 37, and I'm going to look down at verse 30. Yeah, that's where I want. Psalm 37, verse 30. Notice when he says, The mouth of the righteous speak wisdom, and his tongue talks of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slot. The more you think about that, the more you realize, and it is a common theme of David. We think of Psalm 119, verse 11. The, you know, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin. And many passages like that. We think of the New Testament and 1 John 3 and when the seed is remaining in an individual, he cannot sin. And, and no, really, that's the whole point. I have to squelch the Word of God, put it out, put it down, put it in the back of my mind, you know, to, in order to go ahead and sin. And so the point that's being made by the psalmist here is, if your servant will keep the law of his God in his heart, in his mouth, in his mind, he won't sin. And it calls us to pray to God and to meditate on the Scriptures of God and not to look at it as, you know, a person says, asks the question, what in the world do I do? I've got this problem with this sin. What do I do about it? And when you say to them, you need to pray, you need to meditate on the Scriptures, it's almost as though you're saying something that is just, oh, boy. I mean, don't you have anything better than that? And the truth is, no, I don't. Because for everything else you might do, and we can go through all kinds of things we can do and that are helpful to do. And I'm not downing those things. I use, you know, like the different step programs and all of that to deal with the things in my life. So I'm certainly not down on it. But at the core, the most powerful thing I can do is pray and meditate on the Scriptures. This song is calling for me to pray to God Keep me from all wrong. Now we might ask a question. Will he do that? Will he keep us from all wrong? Read a couple of passages with me. Look at Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians 1, we were talking about this, and those of you in my Wednesday night class, you know that we just went over this, but we were talking about this passage. Colossians 1, and, and again, this is in a context in a paragraph where we're talking about the power of Jesus, the greatness of Jesus. But I'm going to start down in verse, oh, I'll start in verse 20. God has made peace through the blood of his cross, of Jesus' cross, of course, by him, by Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, 
By him, I say, whether they be things in the earth or things in heaven. But especially verse 21. And you. So here's me. You that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by your wicked works. And of course, the works, the sins, the wicked works, the sins are against God. Yet now has God reconciled in the body of Jesus' flesh, is the idea in verse 22, through death. But notice this. To present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. How, how great is that? If I would meditate upon that, if I would see myself, rather than wallowing in the fact that I've failed over and over and over again, so it's just time to quit and resign myself to it. If I would stop meditating on that and meditate on the plan God has for me to one day be taken to heaven by Jesus and presented. You know, it's kind of like the greatest thing you ever did, the most prestigious event you ever went to. You were all dressed up, all cleaned up, and somebody presented you to some dignitary. Beyond imagination. To be presented to God... Not as some individual who, quote-unquote, made it by the skin of their teeth. That's the way we feel. But no, to be presented to God as a person who is holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. I think about Peter. And when I think about the Apostle Peter, and I think about his life as a whole, and we're looking at snippets of his life, and I think about the great victories he had and the great failures he had, When he is presented, and he will be, when he is presented to God the Father, will he be looked at as a person that barely made it? He barely slid into heaven. Boy, he had all these failures. You know, the Lord's saying to him, you know, the Father's saying to him, you know, when my son was sitting there and you're cursing and swearing you don't even know him, that sickened me to my gut. Will he be saying that? Will he be saying to Peter, man, Peter, you've been an apostle how long, years, 20 or more, and some people come from a certain town, Jerusalem, and you're eating, you're fine with eating with the Gentiles, but they come and you look at them, oh boy, I don't want to be caught eating with these people. That's despicable, Peter. Is that what God is going to be saying? Is he going to be recalling his faults, his failures? Is he going to be looking at Peter and say, Poor Peter, you barely made it. You barely got in here, dude. You know how close you were to not making it. That's not what this passage is saying. This passage is saying Jesus takes you to heaven and presents you, lays you before God, literally. And you're holy, and you're unblameable, and you're unreprovable in his sight. If you just continue, Jesus, keep me from all wrong. Because I'll be satisfied as long as I walk close to you. Can God keep you from falling? I'll give you a verse. I'm not going to turn over there and emphasize it tonight. But Jude 24. It's a great passage. It's powerful. And it says in the exact words, yes, he is able to. To keep you from falling. But what if I do? If I falter, Lord, who cares? This is an interesting part of this song, and I'm going to read it, and I'm going to give you the alternate, most popular lyrics. 
I've never seen one of the books that, in our song books that use these lyrics, but most renditions of it do. So I'll, it'll be clear in just a second here. Through this world of toils and snares, if I falter, Lord, who cares? Who with me my burden shares? And our psalm book says, let me walk, dear Lord, close to thee. But the popular and possible original lyrics were this. Through this world of toil and snares, if I falter, Lord, who cares or who will care? Who with me my burden shares? None but thee, dear Lord. None but thee. And the idea of the song, and I find it interesting, and it may be that just no one you know, likes that thought or anything else, but the idea of the song is when I really, really, really badly, badly mess up, nobody cares, only Jesus. And I thought about that, and I, and I think it is a, it's a very stark question. It almost frightens you to ask yourself, if I really messed up, I mean, if I stumbled, if I faltered, if I got off track, if I, you know, et cetera, et cetera, all the things we, we think about we might could do, we di- if we did them, what would the consequences be and all of that. And then to ask yourself, who cares? I mean, in the end, ultimately, who cares? I think there are many, many married people out there who would tell you very quickly, if I did this, I messed up, marriage is over. It's done. In fact, they may even say to each other, they may say, if you ever do this, it's over. I think there are a lot of people out there in friendships, and the friendship is close, and you get together, and you laugh, and you have fun, but if you did this, it's done. If I falter... Lord, who cares? Is it truly none but Thee, dear Lord, none but Thee? Or is it that there would be people who care? You know, I want to suggest to you, in Colossians chapter 6, and verse 1, for example, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. And you know the word here, overtaken, doesn't mean just that the person slips up. That's not what it's saying. It's a word that was used for going through a mountain and that there was only a certain labyrinth through the mountain. You could get the passes had to be, you know, you had to go just down the right pass and you would get off track and get lost. And sometimes people would get lost and they'd wander around trying to get out of the mountain and die. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a fall, I mean, if somebody gets carried away so bad in something that they're going to die spiritually, you go bring them back. That's the same picture you see in James chapter 5 in verses 19 and 20. If a soul sins and errs from the truth, literally falls away from the truth, you go bring them back. And the one that does that will, you know, save a sinner from, uh, save a soul from death and, and cover a multitude of sins. You go do the work. Is that me? When someone gets off track or leaves the faith or becomes unfaithful, do I care? And if I care, how much do I care? And what will I be willing to do? What amount of time, effort, work, etc. will I be willing to give to help that individual? Is it true that when I sing the song, in this world of toils and snares, if I falter, Lord, who cares? And the answer that I know deep down inside is nobody. 
I don't have a spouse, a friend, a child, a parent. Nobody cares. Is that the way it is? It might be. And I'm convinced for a number of people, it really is that way. That there are things, yeah, a lot of things, they would, but there are those things. And they, no way. I just, you know, I don't want any part of them anymore. But you know, not Jesus. And that's the beautiful thing about God. No. I remember years ago, and a lot of you will remember this. Remember the name Jeffrey Dahmer? Yeah, I hear some people. Yeah. Those of you that are younger, you, you may have heard of him, but you don't remember. It's 30 years ago now, right? 30, maybe even more. Or right at it anyway. Jeffrey Dahmer was a, a serial killer. Killed a lot of people, but worse than that, there was rape and cannibalism and for sake of the children, I won't go any deeper in that, but all that was involved. But do you remember the end of the story? Jeffrey Dahmer was taken to court and convicted, obviously, of multiple counts of murder, etc., etc., sentenced to prison. And while he was in prison, he was killed. But do you remember the rest of the story? Before all that happened in prison... There was a gospel preacher that went to the prison, that talked with him, and we will never know until the end of time if we know then, but supposedly he was converted. The guy definitely baptized him. And you look at that and you say, and I remember people saying, people say, you know, would God really forgive Jeffrey Dahmer? Because the sins were so terrible. They were so hideous. They were finally bad enough that somebody would say, no, God won't forgive that. Can God love and forgive even that? We said this morning, I'll say it to you again. Paul saying to Jesus, you can't choose me. I killed people. I killed Stephen. Jesus said, yes, I can. And I do forgive you. Or maybe we look at Peter. And here is Peter trying to come back after knowing, you know, boy, boast and brag of what he's going to do. I love you, Peter, and I know you love me, and I forgive you. If I falter, Lord, who cares? The last verse of this song says, When my feeble life is o'er, time for me will be no more. Guide me to that peaceful shore. Let me walk. Dear Lord, close to thee. Here's the idea of a person accepting the way life is. We live, we grow older, we face the end of our life. It doesn't matter how, if we die or Jesus returns or anything else, that's the nature of this life. This one on earth doesn't last forever, and we know that. And we come to peace with that, or we try to, but we sing songs like this because we are saying to God, I know that. And when I reach the end, I want to be saved. When it's all said and done, when everything in life comes and goes, when I've made my peace with how I failed and how I didn't, the successes I had and everything else, I want to go to heaven. Let me walk eternally is the idea. Close to thee. If I am to go to heaven, it's got to be because the Lord guides me there, conducts me there. It's got to be because I realize the nature of life and the purpose of it. I was put here to prepare to go to be with God. That's what life is all about. And all of the other stuff 
in life is just that. It's stuff. And there comes a moment in time when life is over and when you cross from this life and the only thing you carry with you is whether or not you prepare to walk eternally with God. Let me walk close to thee. Just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus, this my humble plea. If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God, you look at your life and you know that you need the Lord's help. We all do. Maybe you're here, you believe in Jesus, you've never obeyed the gospel, you've never submitted to the Lord and done what he tells you to do, but you believe in him. And yes, you confess, I do believe in Jesus. I know he's the Son of God. I would repent, and I want to repent. Just I'm not willing to say to myself, it's easy. I know it's hard. But you believe in Jesus. You don't have to believe in you, but you believe in Jesus. And you will be baptized for forgiveness of your sins. Or perhaps it is that you've tried that. You've actually been baptized. But you've seen how easy it is to keep veering away like we talked about this morning. You know you need to come back to the Lord. You know you need His help. We'd be glad to pray together with you. Because that's where we all are from time to time. Please come. While we stand and sing.